This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. going through our series on salvation. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15 tonight, you can. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be at. A story that we sometimes refer to as the story of the prodigal son. A familiar passage of scripture. We've been taking a look at salvation. How can we know for sure that we are saved? Once we are saved, how can we make sure that we don't lose our salvation? What does the Bible tell us about that? And the Bible tells us that once we're saved, we're always saved. And we, man, take great uh, comfort and peace in knowing that God has promised that our salvation is good forever, despite our own uh, sinful uh, condition. Uh, And tonight we're taking a look at how the story of the prodigal son really points to our eternal security. And so I'm really excited about that. Next Sunday night, I, I'm ultra fired up about because we get to hear from John Stoker. Uh, John Stoker is one of my favorite teachers to hear teach the word. Um, just a, a brilliant guy, knows his Bible incredibly well. Um, but I've asked him to speak to us on the subject of personal apostasy. Uh, the word apostasy means a falling away from or one who renounces their faith. What happens to an individual when they personally renounce their faith? I'm no longer a Christian. I no longer believe. Um, Are they still saved? Were they ever saved? Those are questions that we have to ask. Now, there's also the Bible speaks of church apostasy, where an entire church will fall away from the faith. And we definitely see apostasy on every hand uh, in churches today, where people say, I no longer believe the Bible as God's uh, pure word. And so uh, we're not talking about taking a look next week at um, institutional apostasy. We're taking a look at personal apostasy. What happens when we renounce our salvation? Can we do that? I'm really looking forward to that next Sunday night at five o'clock. Um, I also, every time I tell you that I'm not preaching and someone else is, there, people come out of the woodwork to come on a Sunday night, and so uh, maybe we'll get a bump in attendance for that. Uh, I'm not really sure, but uh, tonight's message, um, I, here's the thing. I do not enjoy public speaking. It's not one of my things that I enjoy doing. It's not something that I would consider myself even good at. I get really nervous when I'm in front of people and I talk really fast, and uh, sometimes I jumble my words together and I can't keep my thoughts straight. Uh, But I love helping people understand the Bible. I I love that. And the story of the prodigal son, no lie, as I began to read through this story, I thought to myself, this is like a mini-series by itself of like seven or eight solid biblical truths. But we don't have time for that tonight, so we're just gonna put it in one message. Uh, Jordan was putting together the notes for tonight, and he looked at the notes and how many points you have. Don't be worried by that. We're going to move through it really quickly, all right? But he said, Pastor, should this be a two-part series? I said, I don't have time for that. We've got to get through it tonight. And so uh, strap in. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff uh, in store for you. Luke chapter 15, verses uh, 11 through 24 is what we're going to take a look at tonight. First of all, uh, in this passage, Jesus is talking about uh, salvation. He tells a story of a, a shepherd who had one lost sheep, and he went to find it to bring it back to the flock. Tells a story of a woman who had lost a coin and she, uh, when she had found it, she called all of her uh, neighbors together and they rejoiced together. And then he tells this story about a man who had two sons. Uh, fascinating story. Uh, literary uh, geniuses throughout history have called the story of the prodigal son one of the greatest short stories ever written. 
Uh, it's, it's literally, to, to even to unbelievers, it is a literary masterpiece. Just the richness, the characters, the detail uh, that goes into to this story is just astounding. Uh, only a short passage of scripture, but so many moving parts, so many details that make this uh, a great story. And it's great to us as Christians because it's the story of salvation. And so uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse number 11. He said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto him them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against thee in heaven and before thee, and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, for let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh into the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. He was angry and would not go in, therefore came and therefore out came his father and entreated him. And he answering said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured his living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meat, means it was good that we should make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Familiar story for anybody who's grown up in church or even been in Sunday school. This is a familiar story even for people who are unchurched, never read the Bible before. Know the story of the prodigal son. Now, the word prodigal, sometimes people think it means the one who comes back or the one who turns it around or the one returns. The word prodigal actually means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant is what the word prodigal means. And so when we look at that, it doesn't mean the one who comes back. It means the one who has lived extravagantly and wasted all that they have. As I began to to study out this uh, passage, I was reading through uh, one particular author that, that I enjoyed reading. And he made an incredible statement. I'm not going to take credit for this because it's so good. This story isn't about the son. It's about a man who had two sons. And that on the surface might seem to to be just a matter of, you know, the way that you stated or something like that. But when we look at this story, 
we oftentimes see ourselves, right? That, hey, if I mess up, God will receive me back. But the story is not a story about the son. The story is a story about the father. Why is that significant? <laughs> because at the end of the day, life isn't about you or I. It's all about the father. When we get to heaven one day, the story is not going to be told of all that we did and how we did good things and how we accomplished this or that. The story will be told of worthy is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world to save sinners from themselves. That's the story that gets told. And so sometimes when we read the Bible, I fear that many times we read the Bible from our own perspective and our own narrative where we are always the, the hero of every story. We read uh, stories of David and Goliath, and man, we are David going up against Goliath, and we've got five smooth stones in our pocket, and we got our slingshot, and we're ready, and we're standing with great faith, and we're going to slay the giants that are in our path, and your giant might be your boss, your, your, your giant might be, you know, sickness, your, your giant might be, hey, time out on that. If you look at the story of David and Goliath, Jesus Christ is David, you and I are the terrified Israelites sitting on the side saying, who's going to go and fight this giant that none of us could ever slay? And so we need to make sure that we read the Bible with the right perspective. And so I just thought that that was interesting as we see uh, Jesus starts this off. And again, even when I read that, that the story's not about the, the son, it's about the father, I thought to myself, that's just not true. And I go back and look at what the Bible says. <laughs> and sometimes we have these thoughts that will get corrected by the Bible. That's always a good thing, right? Let's go back to look at verse 10. What does Jesus say? And there was a certain man who had two sons. The story is not about the prodigal son at all. It's always about the father. Interesting thing just to kind of lay a foundation for that. Now we see in verse number 12, the son makes a rude, selfish, disrespectful request. We're going to talk through this, and at the end we're going to figure out how this relates to our eternal security. Uh, we're just going to walk through this story a little bit. We don't even have time to get through the whole story tonight. Verse number 12, the younger said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto him his living. Now, it's interesting, in Jewish culture, when it came to the inheritance of the father, there were a couple of things that had to happen. First of all, um, if you, a man had two sons, the oldest son got a double portion. So if there's two sons, we're going to divide the inheritance into three parts. The oldest son gets two parts. The youngest son gets the, the third part. So he gets less than the first son did. But here's the thing about it. The inheritance was only good if the father was actually dead. You didn't get to go to the father and say, hey, give me your stuff. I know you're still alive, but I want my stuff that belongs to you. That would have been really disrespectful. And again, anybody who heard this story in Jesus's time would be like, what a little twerp, uh, going to his dad and telling him what he deserves or what he wants. But the father in this case was very gracious. We see that inheritance comes after the father's death. He was making an unusual request to get hit an advance on his inheritance. The dad wasn't even dead yet. We don't even know that the dad was even sick or in, in danger of dying. But the son says, give me what I want. We see secondly, this is the one that again, causes us to examine our heart. We see that the son didn't really want a relationship with the father. He just wanted the father's stuff. Christian, I would caution you, if you ever get to the point where you see God as just a means to your end, you've got everything really mixed up. Oh, well, God exists for me to give me stuff. No, he doesn't. God exists to glorify himself. 
And you and I need to understand that you and I are simply a means to God's end. We exist to glorify him, which is what he needs and what he deserves. Uh, The Bible tells us in Revelation 4.11 that we were created for his pleasure. And so we see here that the son didn't really want a relationship with his dad, didn't want to spend time with his father. He just wanted his dad's stuff. Be careful that that never becomes you, Christian, where you don't really want a relationship with the father. I don't read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to be in church. I just need God to pay my rent this month. I don't really need any time with the father. I don't want to read the Bible or obey it or anything like that. I just want God to give me that job that I want. God doesn't function that way. God wants you to desire him, not his stuff. This is a public, shameful embarrassment to the father. Not only has the son made this request, which would be embarrassing enough for a father to have a son who's so disrespectful. The shameful part comes from this is that the father actually relents and gives the son what he asks. Now again, if you go back to, you know, first century Jewish culture, for the father had every right to say, absolutely not. Hey, you want what's coming to you? I'll give you zero, zip, zilch, get out of here. But the father didn't do that. He gave his son his portion. We're going to get to verse number 13, and we see that not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. That phrase, gathered all together in the Greek, was a Greek term of exchanging his goods for money. And so he basically got all this stuff together that his father had given him. He sold it not many days after, it tells us here. And then took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And then verse 14 tells us he had spent it all. So here we see that the son undervalues and even devalues what the father's given him. When you think of the father's inheritance that he gives, this is something that he's worked his entire life for. This might be even intergenerational wealth where his father passed some things on, maybe land, maybe livestock, uh, maybe money, uh, maybe you know, clothing, maybe jewelry got passed down. And the father takes that and gives the younger son his third portion of that who turns it into quick cash and then goes out and blows it all. We're talking about Maybe wealth that took decades to build up that was gone in a matter of days. Why? Because the son didn't value what he had. And again, we can look at this and see so many correlations with the Christian life. Well, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. <laughs> okay, that's great. But like, what about the other parts of the Christian life? Well, I got my ticket punched to heaven. That's really all I care about. No, 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 no. You have devalued what's been given to you. You've been given the grace of God. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God. You've been given the Word of God. You've been given sonship, daughtership. You've been adopted into a family. You get the opportunity to glorify God. God wants to change you from the inside out to be more like Jesus, and you just want to get your ticket punched to heaven? No, you're missing out on the value of being a son, of being a daughter. You see verse number 14, when he had spent spent all... There arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. We find that the party begins, but it doesn't last forever. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that season, once it rolls past, there's nothing but death and destruction. The Bible tells us in the book of James, every man is, sins when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth what? Death. 100% of the time, you can't get around that. 
And again, there's people who are like, oh, I know somebody who did this and it worked out well for them. You don't know the whole story. I know a guy who left his wife and married another woman. He's happy now and he's been blessed by God. You don't know the whole story there. You're just seeing what you see from the outside. Here's what I can guarantee you. You choose to disobey God. You choose to live in rebellion against God. The only thing that comes out of that is death. That's what the Bible says. You can't argue with it. And you find that when you chase after sin, there will always come the famine. Always. Isn't it interesting? After he had spent all, there arose a great famine in the land. (laughs) When you chase after sin, the emptiness and barrenness of the famine is always coming for you. You choose to chase after sin, you will always be left with the regret that comes from that, the emptiness that comes from that. We see here in, in this passage, verse number 15, He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into a field to feed swine. So you can either be an obedient son of the father or you can be a slave to the world. But know this, you'll always be in submission to someone. Again, we think to ourselves like, oh, I don't want to follow Jesus. There's so many rules and regulations I got to follow. Hey, first of all, there's freedom in following Christ, not bondage. And secondly, know this, you'll always be in submission either to God, your father, or to this, the, a slave to the sin and to, your, to the world. Those are your two options. So we see here that this man who left his father's home in search of freedom only found bondage, only found disappointment, only found uh, discouragement, It's interesting here, as Jesus tells this story, his job as he joined himself to this citizen was to do what? To feed swine. And to a Jew, they would be like, oh my goodness. Why? Because pigs were considered unclean animals. You couldn't eat it. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't be around it. And so to literally go out and feed these unclean animals was one of the most disgusting things that they can imagine, not only from the fact that pigs are filthy animals, but that they were considered in Jewish culture spiritually unclean. But this is who he's now joined himself to because he's left the protection of the Father. And the emptiness apart from the Father is insatiable. We see this in verse number 16. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He's empty. He's hungry. He's tired. He has nothing. And he said, hey, if I could fight those pigs to get those husks that they were eating, I would totally eat it right now. It's interesting, as Jesus tells this story, uh, the majority of historians believe that the, uh, the husks that he's speaking of here would have come from the carob tree, C-A-R-O-B. The carob tree is a, a tree that's you know, native to Jerusalem and around the areas around there, so they would have been familiar with that. I'd never seen a carob tree until I came to Hawaii. In Hawaii, they're called kiave trees. Have you ever seen a kiave tree? They have these little pods that come off of them that have the beans on the inside. Some of you are like, oh, I know that, right? You seen that? Those are kiave pods, also known as carob pods. And when you empty the beans out, the only thing that's left are the husks. And they would feed these to the pigs, and he would have, it says in that verse, he would have eaten those husks, but he couldn't get to them. He would have eaten the pig husks if he could have gotten them, but nobody would even give him pig husks 
at this point. So, interesting little side note there. You know what carob trees are. Next we see verse number 17. And when he came to himself, I love that phrase. He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. The son recognized the father could care for his every need. Hey, the hired servants in my dad's house at least have enough to eat. If I could go back there and just be a servant to my dad, at least I would have something to eat. At least I wouldn't die amongst pigs and slop trying to fight for husks and not even getting that. So he recognized the father has what he needs. The word servant that's used here, uh, again, we talk through the, the Greek words that are used for servant often. We, we know that the Bible tells us that diakonos is where we get our word deacon. Uh, this is someone who literally serves tables. The Greek word doulos is a bond slave, someone who is, is property of an owner who has no rights, uh, who owns no property, uh, who is really considered part of the family and adopted into the family. And, and they do whatever the master says. They don't have the opportunity to say no because they're a bond slave. So when Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm a bond slave to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians, when Christ took upon himself the form of a servant, it's that Greek word doulos, bond slave. Jesus Christ became subservient to his father to live as a bond slave to God. And you and I are called to do the same the Greek word that's used here in, in this passage here is the Greek word mystheos. This means a day laborer. That's why it says hired servant. Mystheos is different than the other types of servants that we see because this is somebody who's just hired for a day or on an as-needed basis. They're not considered part of the family. They don't live in the house with all the other servants. Uh, they're just kind of hired on an as-needed basis. You can kind of think of these as contract workers. Like, hey, we'll hire you for a week. You can do your own thing and go your own way, uh, but, but we're going to pay you for the work that you do. This is different than the doulos, which would actually be live in the house as property of the, the master, property of the owner, and really considered like part of the family. So he's saying like, hey, I don't even need to be a bond slave that lives in the house. I could just be a hired worker for my dad. I, I don't even need to be a part of the family anymore. I don't need to be on the inside of this. If I could just go work for my dad on an as-needed basis, at least I would be able to have something to eat. Then he recognizes also the generosity and compassion of his father. You see, these, these day laborers, they weren't really well cared for because they were just kind of contract workers. They weren't considered part of the family. They didn't have special status uh, within the family or within the home. They were just kind of uh, used on an as-needed basis. But here's what he said about his father. He recognized how gracious and compassionate the father was. You know why? Because he says, they have bread enough to eat and some despair. My father takes such good care of even his day laborers, that they have enough to go around and then some. That's how gracious, that's how generous my father is, is the fact that he goes over and above even for those who aren't part of his family or even part of his regular servants. So he recognized the grace, generosity, and compassion of the father. Now, how does any of this relate to our eternal security? What does this mean for us? We see, first of all, when 
the father has two sons, we see, first of all, that God is not the father to unbelievers. Not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is born into the family of God. Actually, no one is born into the family of God. You have to be adopted in. The Bible tells us that we're the children of wrath. The Bible tells us that we're the children of disobedience. Jesus tells the Pharisees they're of their father, the devil. And John 1.12 tells us, but as many as received him, speaking of Jesus Christ, to him gave them power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so the only people who can come and be called a son or daughter of the father are those who have been saved or born again through Jesus Christ. We see also in John chapter 8, verse number 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye shall do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh, he speaketh a lie. He speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. So Jesus says here really clearly, you're not of the family that I'm a part of because if you were, you would love me. Jesus says, you can't call yourself a child of God and reject me at the same time because I am the son of God. And so here we see, again, not everyone is a child of God. Are we all God's creations? Yes, absolutely. God created all of us. Are we all God's children? No, only those that come to Jesus in faith and repentance and are born again are adopted into the family of God. And so this is important because all the other people in this story are not the sons of the father. The father has two sons and two sons only. But it's also important to notice before the youngest son rebels against the father and takes his stuff, he's considered a son. If we look at verse number 19 in this passage, he says, I'm no more worthy to be called a son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Our relationship with the father is not based on worth, but on grace. The son recognized, hey, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I don't deserve this. And that's one of the, the tough things for people who come from a works-based salvation background, whether it be Catholicism or some other type of religion where they, they have to do stuff to get salvation and hopefully they'll make it one day, to get the idea that this has nothing to do with your own personal behavior and has everything to do with the grace of God. Because here's what he says, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I could also say, I, Anthony King, am not worthy to be called a son. I don't deserve to be called a son of God. I have sinned against God. I'm a sinful human being. I've rebelled against God. I don't deserve to be called a son. And so all of us find ourselves in the same boat. And so when people come from a works-based salvation, they'll be like, ah, I don't really deserve to be forgiven. Of course you don't. That's why it's called grace. I don't, I don't deserve God's salvation. Of course you don't. That's why it's called grace. None of us deserve it. The son recognized that. This is, I'm not a son based on my worth. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. One of the things that I love this, verse number 17, <coughs> says, when the son came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. You see, the wayward son must come to himself. If you've rebelled against God or you ever find yourself in a position where you are rebelling against the grace of God, you need to come to yourself. 
And here's what he came to. Two things that this, this verse tells us, verse number 17. Again, this is so rich, it's so beautiful. He came to himself and what did he realize? First of all, my father has everything that I need. And secondly, I am dying. And friend, when you rebel against the father, I hope that you'll come to yourself and realize the father has everything that I need and I'm dying without him. I need to come back. I need to go back. And I want to help you with this church family. This is just an aside on how to be a good, loving church family. There will be people that come to who we call a if not every week, every other week, that are coming back to Jesus for the first time and they don't know if they're welcome anymore. You need to remember that. The person who sits two chairs down from you and, and has on a, a chalet when they come to church, they might be here because they've come back to God for the first time in decades and they're not sure if they're going to be received or not. And we need to let them know, hey, I see you, you matter, you love, and you do belong here. They need to feel that. And we do a great job with hospitality, and so I'm not trying to tell you to do something that you're not already doing. I'm just saying be always conscious of that. The person who walks through the front door might be somebody who's just hanging on by a thread and could use a word of encouragement. All the time people come and they say, I haven't been to church in decades. What brought you back? I didn't know where else to turn. I didn't know where else to go. I thought the church might be a safe place, and we want to be that place for them. But... The son here realizes, my father has everything that I need. How many of his servants have bread more than enough? And I am perishing. I'm dying. And he came to himself and he made a decision to return. And I love how he rehearses his speech, what he's going to say. I'm going to tell him, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Make me one of your servants. And as we see when he gets to the father, the father stops him mid-speech. We see in verse number 20. And he rose, and he came to his father. But yet, when he was a yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know what? The father was waiting because he knew the son would return. He knew it. I'm not sure. The story doesn't tell us how long the son was gone. But he was probably gone long enough that people had written him off. That people knew he had wasted his life. The first part of the story doesn't tell us how he wasted it other than riotous living. But the, the brother is angry with the father. And he says, he's wasted his money with harlots. He's been sexually immoral. He's been sleeping with prostitutes with, with your money. And you're just going to invite him back in. And the father was waiting because he knew the son would come back. And when he saw him, he ran. And despite his poor choices, the son recognized his sonship. Again, we see verse number 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. As we see verse number 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Notice here, again, this deals with our eternal security. He doesn't say to the father, hey, father, I know I'm no longer your son. Because he recognizes he's still a son. He's been a disobedient son, but he's been a son. He recognized his sonship. He didn't go back to the father and say, hey, I'm no longer a son, but if you take me back as a servant, I would appreciate that. He says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Yeah. 
So the son recognized the fact that he was still his father and he was still a son of the father. Here's what I love about this. The son returned and the father handled the cleanup effort. So many times before we come back to Jesus, we want to clean our life up and then come to Jesus. You got it backwards. Come to Jesus, he'll clean up your mess all the time. Well, before I get saved, I need to stop cussing and drinking and doing all... No, 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 no. You need to come to Jesus and he'll work all that out when you get to him. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to church, but I got some things in my life I got to get sorted out first. No, you come back to church and we'll help you get those things sorted out. The Lord will do that for you. What happens here in the story, the son smells, uh, shows up smelling awful, having slept with pigs, being disgusting as one could be, again, smelling a, of, of pig sty. And what does the father do? The father removed the smelly pig stained clothes and dressed him as a son. Now imagine people are hearing this story in first century Jerusalem and they're beside themselves. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean he just welcomed him back? Is he going to repay the inheritance that he wasted? Is he going to work this off? When he just gets to come back as his son? That doesn't make any sense. Where, where is the, the, the hard, tough love from the father here? You see that the robe that he gave him was a ceremonial robe that would be appropriate for a guest of honor? If you threw a party in someone's honor and they came over, instead of putting a party hat on them, you would put a robe on them. Where they would be dressed as the guest of honor. The father takes off his filthy clothes and clothes him instead in a robe of the guest of honor for a party. The ring that he was given signified authority. We talked about this before, but the ring uh, was often a way to sign your name. It would be a... Uh, you take a wax and drip it on a, a paper and then you use the ring as a signet to press down and make a seal of the family. Putting the ring back on his finger means, son, welcome back to the family. You have authority of a son. The shoes that he was given, sandals, were only given to free men. They weren't given to servants. They weren't given to uh, people because uh, those people went barefoot. You saw someone with sandals, it meant automatically that they were a free man. They weren't under bondage. They weren't under slavery. They didn't belong to anyone else as far as, as property goes. Servants didn't wear shoes. And so by putting shoes on his feet was to show that he was a free man now. It's interesting through this process, the son was never asked to make restitution. There's no process of reconciliation, restitution, remorse, only grace. Son's not asked to pay back anything. The son's not asked to prove that he's really sorry. The son doesn't go into a 90-day trial period to find out if he really means what he says that he means. He's just accepted back as his son. Hey, whatever you did is in the past. I'm just glad that my son who is dead is now alive. This is one of the problems that I have, again, with false religion that requires you to work or earn back your salvation. Again, to go into a, a phone booth and tell some guy on the other side of the window that you sinned and him tell you you need to say five Hail Marys and five Our Fathers, and then your sins will be forgiven, flies in the face of everything that we find in Scripture. The Bible tells us no man can forgive sins except God himself, first of all. 
Secondly, penance is not a, a biblical thing at all. Once you are confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you don't have to earn your way back. You come back to the Father, the Father comes back to you, and he makes you a son, a daughter, just like you always have been. There's no period of, of restoration or anything like that. And that's what the second brother really struggles with, the older brother. Hey, wait, 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 wait. We're just throwing this guy a party like he never left? You never thrown a party for me and my friends, and I've obeyed you. And the dad's just like, son, you're missing it. Your brother was dead, and now he's alive again. Again, ask yourself this question if you feel the need to earn back your salvation or I lost my salvation, now I need to get it back by good behavior. What on planet Earth do you think that you could personally do to atone for your own sin? What? Fast for a week? Pray for 90 days? Be really good? There's nothing that you could do to atone for your own sins. Our sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to make atonement for that. It's also important to note that the son didn't become a son again when he repented. He simply restored his relationship with his father. The father didn't reinstate his sonship. He was always a son. He was a rebellious son. He didn't come back and say, like, okay, you're a son again. No, no, no. This man had a son who was dead. Now, it's interesting to note here. People didn't think that he was actually, like, dead. They knew that he was alive. But you, you need to get this when we read through Scripture and when we understand what the Bible says. The word death means separation. That's what it means. It doesn't mean lifelessness or without life. It means separation. And so when you and I die, our soul and spirit will separate from our physical body. That is death. When Adam and Eve sinned against God... They said, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. And then Satan's like, you're not going to die. You can eat it. And they ate it. And guess what? They didn't die physically. They died spiritually that moment. That moment, they were separated from God in a way that they had never been separated from him before. And there was separation. And death came in the Garden of Eden immediately. When we're born into our trespasses and sin, and our spirit is born dead, there's separation between our spirit and God's spirit. And the only way to make that alive is by faith in Jesus Christ. So again, the term dead, my son was dead. He was separated from his father. But when he came back, he is now alive. And so the son, while he was gone, didn't lose his sonship. When we sin against God, we don't lose our sonship. We simply become disobedient, unruly children that hurt the heart of their father. You got to get this. I don't disobey God or, or run into sin. And then God's like, okay, no longer my kid. And then we come back to him. like, okay, you're my son again. How, how troubling that must be. Hey, son, can you take out the garbage? Yeah, I'll do it later. Okay, you're not my son anymore. Okay, I'll take it out now. Okay, you're my son. <laughs> hey, son, could you wash the dishes? Yeah, can I finish my video game first? Oh, you're not my son anymore. You're done. Okay, I'll wash the dishes. Okay, you're my son again. Like, there's no peace in that. There's no comfort in that. The comfort from, no, comes from knowing that regardless of how I sin, the grace of God is always greater than my sin, and I'll never lose what God has given me because it's a promise of Jesus himself. 
when I sin against God, I'm just a rebellious child that hurts my father's heart. It's funny, sometimes my wife will tell me, hey, did you hear what your daughter did today? I'm just like, mm. I, I, I know where this is going. You know, man, tell me what happened. You know? But again, hey, when my daughter disobeys, it's not a matter of like, oh yeah, that, that's your kid that did that, not mine. No, no, no. You can't lose sonship. We've been adopted into the family of God. You cannot relegate your parental rights as a parent once you've adopted a child. You just can't. Jewish culture wouldn't have allowed it. God's not going to allow it. Once you're a child of God, you are a child of God. Should you choose to rebel against your father, you're a disobedient, rebellious child who hurts your father's heart, and because God loves you, he will chastise you. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that. Whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth. Hey, if you got a kid and you don't spank it, it's because you, you hate your son. But in this case, here we see the son goes and he endures chastisement, right? He's empty, he's hungry, he's lonely, he's scared. He's without any real connections and he knows if I could just get back to my father's house, I would have everything that I need. And the chastisement worked because it drew him back to his father. And again, you read through Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't endure chasing, it's because you're not a child of God. Man, I love this. Verse number 19. And he arose and came to his father. When he was come a great way off, the father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Once we return to the father, he will come running to us. Whew, man. That gets me choked up. Again, in, in Jewish culture, this would have been a, a, a story that people just couldn't fathom. It was considered improper for older men to run. They didn't do that. They always moved with grace. They, they lived in a culture where their robes went down to their ankles, and they typically didn't show uh, anything above their, their shin. And so for a man to grab his gown up and run would have been considered embarrassing, much less running after a filthy, pig-smelling, rebellious child. What would typically happen in situations like that, if the son came back to the father, the father would say, tell him I'll talk to him in five days if he wants to hear from that. Tell him he can work in the field for a little while until he repays back some of that which he's lost, and then maybe I'll talk to him then. But to run, people would have been scratching their head and going like, this is definitely a tall tale because guys don't do stuff like that. But it was a picture of the compassion of the father. One of my favorite verses in all the Bibles in the book of James, draw nigh unto God and what? He'll draw nigh unto you. Hey, I take a step towards God, God comes running. And so understand this, if you find yourself tonight or at any point in your life away from God, know this, there's only one person that moved. It's you. And coming back to God is really, really easy. Again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the moment that you take a step back towards the Father, he has promised, draw nigh unto him and he'll draw nigh unto you. He's gonna come running and he will almost knock you over with his grace and fall on you. It's interesting too, the, the phraseology that's used here, he ran and he embraced him, and he fell on his neck. 
Think of a father weeping, laying over his own son with his full body weight on his son. That's what the grace of God is, friend. And it's available for you anytime you choose to come back to God. It's always available to you. I'm thankful that what we see in Romans chapter 5, that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You cannot out the grace of God, and God will always come running for his children. And the father rejoices at the return of the son, and there is no shame. None. You know what I love about this? Is when the son comes back, he says, kill the fatted calf, we're having a party tonight. He doesn't even bother to tell... All of this happens so quickly, he doesn't even bother to tell his other son. Like the other son's been out working in the field. He comes home and hears a party. He's like, hey guys, what's going on? Oh, your, your, your brother is back and there's a party going. There's no shame here. Only acceptance. The father probably didn't get up at the party and go, hey guys, I know you heard about my son. He's made a lot of poor mistakes in his life and poor decisions and might have heard about those prostitutes he was with, that time he was feeding pigs. Now, all that's over, water under the bridge. I'm just glad that he's been. No, no, there was none of that. He tells everybody, hey guys, get that fatted calf ready because my kid who is dead is now alive. And it was just a party from there. No shame. And let me help you with this church. Again, we want to be the type of church that when people come back to the Father, they can do it here. So if you see somebody that's maybe been out of church for a few months and they come back, or maybe even a few years and they come back, never ask the question, where have you been? Because then they feel like they've got to explain something. And, and I'll just tell you this. There are people who say, I could never go back there because I couldn't stand to answer the questions. Here's the appropriate response. Hey, it's so good to have you back. Thanks for being here. Would you like to come sit with me? Nobody has to answer anything. Sometimes people have said, hey, I want to come back to church, but I know I'm going to have to answer a lot of questions. What do I say? I always tell people, have a one-sentence answer ready. One sentence. Hey, I've been going through a lot, but I'm just glad to be back. One sentence. Well, what if somebody asks me what that means? Tell them, you should totally talk to pastor. He'll tell you everything you need to know. And I'll tell them, mind your own business. <laughs> I'll take it. I got no problem with that at all. We want to be the type of church that when people come back to the Father, they can run to the Father here. Look, we, we celebrate 10 years as a church this October, and I cannot wait for it. But to think in almost 10 years here as a church, there have been people who have literally been gone for four years and came back because they knew that this was a place of love and acceptance. We want to keep that going. There's... No lie, there's somebody who came to our church who has, 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 hasn't been to our church since 2014, came back for the first time, and they said, wow, I always remember this place to be a place of love and acceptance, and now it's the same place, just a little bit bigger. Praise God for that. I always want to be the church that people can come back to. When people have left our church on good terms, and they said, hey, pastor, this is not the church for us, or hey, we're going to another place, or hey, we're moving, or something like that. I always tell them, hey, remember, you can always come back to who we call. This is a place where you can always be welcome, and you can always come to the Father here. We want to continue to be that type of church because if people feel like they have to explain themselves to you, that's not what happened here. You know who wanted an explanation? The brother who was angry that he didn't get a party. People didn't welcome him back. 
Here, I've done everything you asked you, and you never threw a party for me. He was the one who wanted answers. Everybody else, it looks like, they just went to the party and were glad that the father, son, had come home. Let's be that type of church. I know that's the type of church that I would want if I was wandering away from the father. I know that's the type of church that Jesus would want us to be, a place where people always feel like they can come back to the father, never be judged, never be shamed. They were like, where you been? You haven't been here in years. What's going on with you? No, 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 no. Hey, man, it's so good to see you. Welcome back. Would you like to come sit with me? I'm so glad you're here. And hey, if they want to share your story, they can share their story. But if not, no sweat. But I want us to remember, you can't lose your sonship. If you're a son or daughter of God, you will always be a son or daughter of God. We don't become sons and daughters of God based on our behavior. We come based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. If you choose to rebel against God, you do it at your own peril because God will chasten you if you belong to him. An important thing to note, if you're not really legitimately saved and you continue to rebel against God, God's hands off for that. He doesn't care what you do. You're just basically digging your hole until the day you meet him in judgment. I often tell people when it comes to chastening, I don't spank other people's kids. Some kids misbehaving at the grocery store, I just look at them and say, that's not my kid, Right? My kids misbehave. It's like, hey, get over here now. You need to knock that off or there's consequences. Why? Because it's my child. And so if someone can rebel against the grace of God and see no consequences for it, it's a good possibility that they're not saved because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And if you receive not chastening, it's because your fatherless children are bastards and not sons. But if you're a son, daughter of God, you're not losing that. You can rebel against God, you can hurt your father's heart, but you'll never lose God's grace. And so maybe here tonight, some of you are struggling with sin. It hurts your father's heart. He's got better stuff for you. Stop sleeping with the pigs and come back to your rightful place as a child of God. Maybe you're struggling with the idea of like, hey, can I really be forgiven? You absolutely can. The grace of God is enough and sufficient to cover all of your sin, past, present, and future. I'm thankful this morning that we can have hard messages like we talked about the right to life and how abortion is a sin. We can have conversations like that because I know that this church is a church that's filled with the grace of God. And we can say, hey, if you've made mistakes, there's no judgment, no condemnation. We're just taking a look at where we go forward from here. And we want to do what's right. Let's be that type of church where people can find Jesus. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 